I'll be reading 1 John 19 through 24 from the New King James Version. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Brittany Addington, and I'm going to share with you a little bit about how CIY MOVE has affected my life. I have attended CIY MOVE for four years now, and this year will be my fifth. Two years ago, I got a Kingdom Worker card, and it challenged me to plan a 27-hour prayer event for the 27 million victims of forced labor and human trafficking. This was definitely a challenge, seeing as it was 27 hours and filling the slots would be hard, but the event went very well. After this, though, I decided that I wanted to do more to pursue my passion about this injustice. I thought that maybe a trip to Cambodia would be my next step. CIY has a program that allows students to go on short-term mission trips, and one of the ones that they had was Cambodia. In Cambodia, they have a house that is called Rafa House, and it is a safe house that um, houses victims of human trafficking and provides aftercare for them. I applied for the trip after lots of praying, and I will be going to Cambodia at the end of May this year, and I'm very excited for that. All this to say, CIY started my passion about human trafficking, and it provided me with the opportunity to visit another country. Without CIY, I don't think I would ever do any of this because it has helped me get out of my comfort zone, and I'm so thankful for that. Thank you, Brittany, very much. Brittany and Taylor are two of our seniors uh, and have been going to CIY for many years. And uh, that's just a cool testimony to how CIY challenges students. And, you know, we, we know that God is the one who's doing all this work. It's not a conference, uh, you know, that does all that in us, but God works through those things. And it's pretty cool to see examples these last few weeks of how students have been challenged. Uh, hey, guys, good morning. I'm glad you're here with us today. Uh, last week, if, if you missed because you knew the youth minister was preaching, <laughs> we got gotcha, you, okay? Here I am, all right? Uh, we pulled a fast one on you. Uh, yeah, last week I got to talk about light in darkness. We talked about how uh, God calls us to the light and how the light does two things. It reveals uh, our, our sins and our wrongdoings, but it also releases us from those things that we are ashamed of. And so now I'm excited to talk to you guys uh, about belief, okay? Belief in denial. There is a saying that... Uh, like young people used to say like a few years ago, I don't, I, we, I haven't heard like any of my students say it anymore, but I remember like saying it in high school and stuff. It, it was this, it was picks or it didn't happen. Okay. Have any, has anybody heard that before? Okay. Yeah. Very few. Okay. I'm pretty sure that was a thing. Maybe I was the only one saying it. Okay. What, what that meant was this, like you're, you're texting your buddy and you say, Hey, you're never going to believe this. This just happened. I, I met this person or I saw this happen or this happened to me. And the person responds, picks or it didn't happen. Pics meaning pictures. So basically what they're saying is this, either you have proof or you're lying to me. 
okay? I'm not gonna believe you if you don't have any proof, okay? Uh, that maybe you've been in a situation where like something happened and you're like, this is amazing, but nobody really believes you because the story just seems so out of whack and you don't have proof. I've actually met two famous people uh, in my life. Uh, so, so the first one, uh, I was in the airport of Newark, New Jersey. I was 20 years old. And I saw this big hulk of a man walking through the airport. And I'm this, I'm an NFL nerd. And I was able to recognize him because I'm weird. And I, I recognized there was DeMarcus Ware. If, if you don't know who that is, he's a longtime pass rusher for the Cowboys. Amazing player. Also helped my Broncos win Super Bowl 50. Okay. So uh, pretty, yeah, okay. well, okay. Um, boo Raiders, right? No? Okay. There we go. Uh, but I, I went over and I, I was just super weird about it. I was like, are you DeMarcus Ware? Can I talk to you? He was so nice. In fact, he even like, he was looking around like he didn't want people to swarm him. So he's like, well, here, let's go into this bookstore. And he actually like let this annoying kid talk to him. And it was, it was awesome. He was super nice. Uh, I took a picture with him. And then I, I kid you not, my SIM card in my phone, it like broke or something. So I don't have the picture anymore. So I tell people this story and they're like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, you, you met. And I, and I did, I really met him. And then the, the second time, so I, I also met Bill Murray, like the Bill Murray, like Groundhog Day, Bill Murray, okay? And I don't have time, this story is a doozy. I don't have time for it. But basically I was, I was at a college basketball tournament in Orlando and uh, Xavier was playing, and I didn't know this until someone sitting next to me told me, but Xavier had an assistant coach at the time, Luke Murray, who's actually Bill's son. So Bill was supposedly at this game, and I, at that point, I didn't even listen to the basketball game. I was trying to find Bill Murray, and I found him. I kid you not, he was two rows behind me, just like a few seats down. At halftime, me and like, let's be honest, like everybody, we're all just swarming him, trying to talk to him, and I'm, I'm getting my phone out. I'm like, man, I'm going to take a picture of Bill, me and Bill, and I'm going to post it on Facebook, and everyone's going to think I'm awesome. And, and the guy right in front of me, the guy who meets him right before me, he says, Mr. Murray, you're hilarious. Will you be in this selfie with me? And Bill Murray went off on this guy, okay? He, he said, man, I'm a human being. Everyone just wants to take pictures of me. Just talk to me. You don't need to take a picture of me. Just have a conversation. And I was just like... Okay, And I don't have a picture of me and Bill Murray, but guys, you got to believe me, okay? It happened. Maybe you have this situation too. I experience this every Wednesday night. I'm in the gym during youth group, and I hear a, a, a junior high or high school boy go, Ian, 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 I turn around. I'm like, what? And they say, I was at this side of the court, and I threw the basketball, and it went in the basket on the other side of the court. Did you see that? No, man, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't see it. And I'm like, oh, no, come on, guys, you gotta believe me. And all the other, all his friends gave him a hard time. Oh, sure, you did, okay? It's this picks or it didn't happen idea, you know? You, you, you believe something if there's proof, but if there's not proof, then you're not gonna believe it, okay? Uh, now, listen, uh, everybody in this room, for the, for the most part, I, I don't wanna assume everybody, but a lot of people in this room, we, we believe in, in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, we, we come to church, we call ourselves Christians because we believe in Christ. We, we believe he is who he says he is is. But I wonder this, uh, is it easier for us to believe what Jesus says about himself than it is to believe what he says about us? Is it easier for us to be able to understand and acknowledge who Jesus is than it is what he's done for us, what he believes about us? Uh, there, are, uh, there are lies that we believe from the enemy uh, lies that Satan tries to tell us to uh, keep us from believing in what Jesus says. Because it's important for us, first of all, to believe in Jesus. If we don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then it doesn't really matter, right? It, it just doesn't matter. If you don't believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins, then there's really not a point in following him, right? Because what can he do for you? 
But Satan not only tries to, to get us to not believe that, he also wants us to believe that there's nothing God can actually do for us. Okay, so last week we talked about stepping into the light and stepping into the light is, it's a frightening thing. It's not something you do half-heartedly. You know that when you step into the light, you're revealing a lot about yourself. So what I wanna do today is I just wanna talk about three lies that the enemy tells us. And the first one is this. Uh, The first lie is I've gone too far. First John uh, 3, 19 through 20, it says this, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So sometimes we, we get nervous stepping into the light because we are aware of our own sin and we know what's messed up about us. So if we step into that revealing light, God is going to see all of that. And what we, what we forget is this, the light the light is not there for God's benefit. We, we forget that sometimes. God doesn't need the light. The light's there for our benefit. We step into the light not so that God can finally see us. God's not saying, hey, I, I can't see you. Why don't you step into the light? No, God can see us. God can see us even if we're trying to hide in the darkness. In fact, Hebrews four thirteen it says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So when we hide from God because we don't want him to see our sin, we forget the truth that God is already aware of it. God's not calling you into the light so he can finally understand, oh, wow, this is something you're struggling with? I had no idea. I'm so glad you stepped into the light. We can take care of this. No, God God knows that. God knows your sin. You have been laid bare before him. He created you. He knows you better than yourself. He's aware. He is aware that you are sinful. He's aware that I am sinful. Uh, Jesus, he's, he's not just calling a better version of yourself to step into the light. In fact, Matt Chandler puts it this way. Jesus, he's not waiting to fall in love with some future perfect version of you. Jesus is in love with you as you are right now. He's calling you right now. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we had this, this uh, panel discussion type thing on baptism. And you know, one thing I fear sometimes about baptism is that we, we push off the act of being baptized because we think, you know, well, I, my life, I, I'm not ready. I'm too sinful. Uh, I'm not in a good condition spiritually right now. I need to wait till I'm, I'm more perfect spiritually. Uh, and, and that's just not what Jesus calls you to. Jesus wants you to come. He wants you to come to him. And, and yes, he doesn't want you to stay the way that you are right now. Jesus hopes that by being in his light and by following him and letting him be the Lord of your life, that things will change but he is not, he, he's not looking at you and trying to save you based on your potential. Okay, there's actually a, a famous football coach who says, uh, potential is just a fancy word for something you haven't done yet. Okay, I like that definition. Listen, Jesus, he's not calling you based on potential of what you could be. Jesus is calling you because of what's already been done, not what's yet to be done. Jesus has called you because he has saved you. The second thing, uh, the, the second lie is this, um, I haven't done enough. First uh, John 3, uh, 21 through 22 says this, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything 
We ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. Okay, so we, we read in the first part of this passage, you know, well, if our hearts condemn us, the good news is God is greater than our hearts, okay? And God knows everything. So what God knows about us is actually true, not what we think about ourselves, okay? Our feelings about us are trumped by what God knows about us, okay? What God knows is true. And then it says, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him everything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. And that's all well and good, but what if we don't feel like we can keep his commands? What if we feel like we'll never please him? I've only been a youth pastor for about three years, but I've been involved in it for several years in a volunteer capacity. I remember being in college and volunteering at this church where we just had so many teenagers who their lives were just so much more miserable because they, they just felt like they were never going to uh, live up to what their parents wanted. They just knew that anything they, they do, it's going to disappoint their mom and their dad. It's going to make them upset. It's going to get them into trouble. Uh, sometimes th- this is our problem. In fact, vulnerability time here for me, real, real problem I have. If I think that I'm going to fail at something or I think my chances of doing something well are pretty minimal, I don't put as much work into it. Is anybody else like that? I'm, I'm so bad about that. I, I'm afraid of failure. Or I'm afraid of doing something poorly. And so if I don't think my chances are good, why even put any effort into it at all? You know, there's just been times where I felt like, man, this sermon I'm preparing, like nobody's gonna wanna hear this or, or this, this event we're gonna do. Like why, why, why would I put any effort into that? Like I'm not gonna be able to do enough. I'm not gonna be able to make these people happy. I'm not gonna be able to make God happy. Now listen, I haven't done enough. That, that statement in and of itself is not a lie. In fact, there's actually truth to that statement. The lie is how we twist that and, and we make it something about who Jesus is. Okay, the truth is this. Yes, you cannot do enough. You have not done enough. You won't do enough. That's, I mean, that's part of the gospel, isn't it? There's just, we, we can't do enough uh, to obtain eternal life. Jesus has done that for us. In fact, you, you could go through the greatest extent to serve somebody else, and it still won't be enough for you or them. There is a movie, uh, I think it was back in like 2001 or something, it's called To End All Wars, it's actually based on a book, I don't know if anyone's seen it, it's a phenomenal film, Uh, and it's it's a story about these uh, soldiers who are, they're POWs, They're, they're in a Japanese prison camp during World War II, and just, just treated terribly. And there's actually two characters. Their names are actually Dusty and Ian, which is kind of funny. So I was like, oh, there, watch it and see if there's a Paul in there or something. I don't know. But yeah, uh, and uh, D- Dusty, in this, this movie, Dusty is a believer, okay? They're, they're both POWs. Dusty's a believer. And in fact, throughout the film, he's actually sharing his faith with his fellow prisoners. Uh, Ian is not a believer. In fact, Ian is trying to get out of there. There's this scene uh, where he rallies a bunch of people together and they try this escape plan. They actually kill one of the guards and they get to the armory and then they're captured. And it's a haunting scene because I remember Ian, he's, he thinks he's gonna get out and, and this look on his face and he just begins weeping like a child because he knows, he, he knows he's dead now. You know, there, there's no way he's gonna live after this. And it goes to this next scene and it's the next morning and they're getting ready to execute him. They're gonna, they're gonna behead him uh, in front of the rest of the camp. And in this scene, Dusty comes over to the soldiers, the Japanese soldiers, and he, he starts talking to them, and you know, you can't hear what he's saying, and they nod, and, and all of a sudden, they, they let Ian go, and they take Dusty, and they, they lead him away. And these Japanese soldiers, they're actually going to kill Dusty in, in Ian's place, and they know that Dusty's a believer. In fact, there's a scene where one of the soldiers opens up Dusty's Bible, and they see an image of Jesus hanging on the cross. And so what they actually do in that moment to kill Dusty is they actually build a cross 
and they hang him on the cross for his fellow POW. And that's, that's an amazing act. It's an emotional movie. It's, it's powerful. That's symbolic. That's what Jesus commands, you know, lay your life down for one another. There's no greater love than that. And yet even that act in and of itself, that's not enough. Because if Jesus thousands of years before hadn't died on the cross, even that act still isn't enough. There, there's nothing we can do that's enough. So, so in that statement, there is some truth. But let's not take the truth of that and twist it into a lie about God. Just because we can't do enough and we won't do enough doesn't mean that he hasn't already done enough. Because he has. When he went to the cross for our sins, Jesus did enough for us. The third lie is this. I don't feel God. And again, uh, you know, the statement itself isn't entirely a lie, but uh, there is some truth. We don't always feel God, but we can turn this into a lie. So... Every, every summer, I have a, this is a super fun part of my job. I, I go on all these trips. So we, we do CIY. You guys have heard a lot about that, CIY move. Uh, and then our high schoolers and our middle schoolers each get a week of camp at Sayokomo. Man, it's so fun. And I, and I love these trips. And it's incredible to watch our students just open up during those weeks. Um, there are sometimes, we'll, we'll have kids who like, they, they never say a word any other week of the year, but then at CIY, they're opening up and they're sharing things and they're being vulnerable and, and you see them worship in this way that's so genuine. It's, it's this thing I've, I've told our students before, I kind of call it this camp high, okay? Uh, and maybe you've experienced before when you were a kid, you, you go to a camp or a conference uh, and you just feel this, this incredible feeling. You just feel so connected to God and so close to God. Now, part of that is because the people putting on these events, they are intentionally scheduling time into your day for Jesus. In fact, it is a weird way to put it, but we're kind of being spoon-fed Jesus a little bit when we go to these things. Now, the feeling is not a bad thing at all. I love that feeling. It's one of my favorite parts of CIY. It's amazing to see students experience that feeling, okay, that, that incredible camp high. I experience it too. Even now as an adult, it's, it's powerful. It's amazing. It's moving. But what happens is we come back from those trips and I remember when I was a high school kid, I'd come back from a trip like that and I'm on fire and, and it doesn't even last a couple weeks. It's probably like by the time I get home on Saturday night from that trip, it, it's completely left me. Some of my students have shared, they're like, yeah, you know, I get on fire and then I come back and, and the next day I, I'm just kind of like, what do I do now? And the reality is we're just not made for those moments of inspiration all the time. In fact, Oswald Chambers, he says this, we are not made for the mountaintops. We are not made for sunrises or for the beautiful attractions in life. Those are simply intended to be moments of inspiration. We are made for the valley. We are made for the ordinary things of life, and that is where we have to prove our stamina and our strength. Listen, Christianity, it's not a feeling. It's not a high or a buzz or a sensation. Christianity is a truth. It's the knowledge of who God is, the knowledge of of who Christ is, the knowledge of who the Spirit is, and that goes way beyond a mere feeling. I think about this. I think about Mark chapter 9, actually, when I think of this concept, the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus, uh, he takes a few of his disciples up on this mountain with him, and it's, it's a spectacle, okay? Uh, it says, you know, Jesus begins like shining, basically, and that's awesome, but then that's not it. Moses and Elijah appear, and like they're speaking with Jesus, like you've got the prophet and the law and Jesus all together in one spot, and it's amazing. And then not only that, but God speaks. God's voice says, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. And I gotta tell you, if I was up on that mountain, top, experiencing that, there would be no doubt 
there'd be no doubt in my mind. I'd turn to Peter and James and John and say, man, this guy, this is who he says he is. I believe him. On that mountaintop experience, there's no doubt in my mind. But then Jesus and his disciples go down the mountain into the valley. And as soon as Jesus goes down into the valley, he's met with unbelief. A man comes to him and he says, you know, my son, Jesus, my son has this spirit in him of muteness. And, and I'm trying to fix it. And other, other disciples of yours, they, they can't fix it. If, if you're willing, maybe you can do something. And, and Jesus says, if I'm willing, he says, anything's possible for you if you believe. And the man says a statement that just echoes with me. He says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I think this man in that moment, he's feeling something that's probably familiar to all of us, where it almost seems like our belief and our denial are coexisting with each other in the same body. You know, you know sometimes in my life, I've got the head knowledge. I, I know logically, well, I, I believe in Jesus, and this is what I know Jesus says about himself. And, and even apologetically, I, I have reasons that I can think through of why Jesus really is telling the truth, why I can trust him and yet I just can't seem to reconcile that head knowledge with my heart knowledge. Well, yeah, I know those things. I just don't feel it. Jesus, I believe in you, but I've also got a lot of unbelief that I need you to help me overcome. Even, even in, in, now that I'm a pastor, I still feel that sometimes. I'm like, I know who you say you are. I just don't really feel it. Jesus, I don't feel it. Help me overcome my unbelief. Listen, you can't live this on a feeling. You can't live your faith on a feeling. If you live your life on a feeling, it's just not gonna work. In fact, a lot of us probably shouldn't have ever gotten married if that's the case, right? Our faith, I believe this, I believe our faith can be born in an experience. In fact, I've heard a lot of stories, a lot of testimonies where the, the first time somebody encountered Jesus, it was powerful and it was moving and it's a moment they'll never forget. But I would also wager that those same people, that feeling probably didn't sustain itself, much longer. You know, probably, you know, the, the first time you met Jesus since then, it probably hasn't all been that amazing, inspirational feeling of the mountaintop. There have been dull moments in the valley and the drudgery and all those things. Okay, your faith can be born of an experience, but it will grow and find its roots through trust and belief every single day in him. This is what the, the end of this passage says in 1 John 3, 23 and 24. He says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And it really doesn't talk about a feeling. His command is this, believe in me. Believe in me and obey my commands. That's, that's pretty solid faith right there. That's pretty good faith to go by. If you're unsure about what you should do to, to believe in Jesus and to be obedient in him, that's pretty foolproof theology right there. But it's not always about a feeling. In fact, I don't need the awesome feeling all the time to know that it's true. Okay, we have some students here who I think would have probably argue, like, like Taylor, wouldn't you say, you know, you, you probably don't feel the CIY feeling all the time, Right? But you know it's true, don't you? Of course you do. You know, the, the, that feeling of awesomeness, it's not gonna be with you all the time. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen and it doesn't mean that God is not who he says he is. The enemy says this, if you don't have the high, if you don't have the inspiration, if you don't have the mountaintop moment, Jesus must not be real. But our relationship with Jesus isn't based on a feeling. It's based on blood. It's based on Jesus's blood and what he did on the cross 
is so much more than a, than a feeling. It's so much more than a mountaintop experience. It's a truth. It's a reality that we walk in every single day so that even when we don't feel like following him, our belief steps in. In absence of that feeling, our belief steps in and says, no, we're gonna keep doing this. Uh, there's a book, book called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. Uh, it, the, the basic premise of the book is this. Uh, Nick and his wife, uh, they decided to go be missionaries in Somalia, okay? Uh, and and what, we, what we do a lot is we kind of romanticize missionaries in the mission field, right? We do, um, and we, have all, we hear all these incredible stories that, that sound great in sermon illustrations or in books. They went over to Somalia, and they had a horrible experience. Uh, terrible things happened. It, it wasn't, you know, every day thousands of people were coming to know Jesus, and they were baptizing people by the masses. no. In, in fact, I think at one point that we, one of their children was even killed. And so eventually they, they just had to go back to Kentucky, licking their wounds, heartbroken, confused, asking God, why, why did this happen? God, why did it happen like this? We don't understand. We were willing. We were willing. We went. What, what was the problem? And they wanted to know more about this. How, how can the church stand? How can the church still believe in all of this suffering and persecution? So Nick uh, set out on this new journey and they traveled to different areas of the world where Christian persecution was high and they interviewed people, not just missionaries, but just believers uh, native to that area and, and asked them, you know, how can you still do what you're doing? Uh, there's an incredible story in this book about a man named Stoyan. Stoyan is a man who grew up in Russia in the 1940s, um, and uh, his, his dad was a, a pastor, but eventually was imprisoned and killed for his faith. But Stoyan, uh, he wanted to continue in his father's footsteps. He wanted to be a pastor, so he studied in secret, uh, and actually, as he became an adult, he started to smuggle Bibles into Russia. So as a result of that, he also was imprisoned for many, many years. And Nick had a chance to sit down with him now that, now that Stoyan is free uh, and got to just ask him these questions. And Stoyan began talking about how when he didn't feel like Jesus was real, his, his, his belief in that truth kept him going. When, when his feelings were fleeting, his belief stepped in and helped him to hold firm to what he knew was true. And there's an excerpt from the book here I want to read. Uh, Nick says this, I thanked Stoyan for his time. He smiled modestly and he said, Nick, I thank God and I take great joy in knowing that I was suffering in prison in my country so that you could be free to share Jesus in Kentucky. Those words pierced my soul. I looked Stoyan straight in the eyes. Oh no, I protested. No, you are not going to do that. You are not going to put that on me. That is a debt so large I could never repay you. Stoyan stared straight back at me and said, son, that's the debt of the cross. He leaned forward and he poked me in the chest with his finger as he continued, don't you steal my joy. I took great joy that I was suffering in my country so that you could be free to witness in yours. Then he raised his voice in a prophet-like challenge that I knew would live with me forever. Don't ever give up in freedom what we would have never given up in persecution. That is the belief in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's just this, it's just giving me goosebumps. It's incredible. You know, there are people, there's people all over the world who, uh, you know, for, for, for them, they, they can't really reveal their identity as a Christ follower. You know, I can come, I can walk out into Fort Scott, Kansas and, and scream it in the streets that I love Jesus. I, I'll probably get applause, right? Man, in, in our freedom that we're blessed with, let us not lose that belief that people who are persecuted hold on to so firmly because sometimes they don't really feel like it. Persecution doesn't feel good, but their belief helps them hold on. There's a cathedral in Milan 
uh, and they have a statue of Bartholomew, the apostle. And Bartholomew, you might not know this, but he was killed for his faith by being skinned alive. Horrible, horrible way to die through torture. And there's actually the statue of him, and he's actually wrapped. Uh, he's holding and is wrapped around his flayed skin. And, and honestly, the statue looks kind of gross. But I, I think about these apostles. Bartholomew was not the only apostle to be martyred for his faith. And, and it wasn't just these simple deaths. Like, these were some gruesome, torturous deaths. And I think, well, how could they possibly be willing to go through that? And it's not because they felt this church high all the time. Like they always just walked out of an awesome worship service. No, it's because they were convinced in their belief that without a doubt, Jesus Christ truly was who he said he was, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do and that he has overcome death. That's what it would take to go through that. Not, not a feeling, not an inspiration, a belief, a firmly set belief in who Jesus is. And I just have a few more final thoughts. Uh, we, we always kind of get on Thomas's back. You know, Thomas is the one who's the doubter. A lot of people, you know, Peter denied Jesus and other people did, but, but Thomas is the only one who doubts, right? Well, well Thomas, you know, uh, Thomas, one of the apostles, um, the, uh, the other apostles see Jesus uh, risen from the dead. And so they go tell Thomas and Thomas has this big Pixar it didn't happen moment, right? Okay, I think that might be the message translation. I don't know. Okay, but he, he says, unless I see the holes in his hand and his side, I will not believe. And Jesus reveals himself to Thomas and he says, here, Thomas, go ahead, touch right here. And then he says this, he says, Thomas, you have seen and now you believe, but blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet they still believe. And the last thing I wanna say is, is this, you know, we say to Jesus, let us see and then we'll believe. But Jesus says, believe and then you will see. Before I pray and the band comes up, I have a statement that I just want to read with you guys. Um, this is part of the Nicene Creed. This is a creed that was put together by followers of Jesus in Nicaea. Um, and and it was the, the purpose of it was just to make clear what they believed about God, the Father, and God, the Son, in light of some misinformation about who Jesus really was. And I just took a part of that. So what I'd like you to do is, would you stand with me and, and just kind of take the similar posture we've taken with these, uh, these prayers that we've done during this series. And I just want you to repeat after me if, if you really believe who Jesus is. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much that our faith isn't built on a feeling. Father, um, I thank you that what you've given us is is belief, and belief is something that can stand firm when everything else about us wants to waver. God, belief is what is able to give us contentment in any circumstance, even when our feelings don't help us out like we thought they would. God, I pray that we don't shy away from the mountaintop experiences. Uh, God, I pray that we treasure the inspirational moments, but I pray we also know that the reality of what you called us to is to believe in you even in the valleys. Father, we love you. We thank you for that belief, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.